0: to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. This was Jesus talking to his parents in Luke the second chapter verses 49 through 50. The family used to go up annually to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And this particular year, Jesus was a boy, probably around 12 years old or somewhere thereabout. And the family had been at the temple. They had been up for the Passover celebration. Now they were traveling back home. They thought Jesus was with the crowd and in with the family members. And as they journeyed, they realized he wasn't with them. So they searched and searched and searched amongst all the party and couldn't find him. So his parents had to go all the way back to Jerusalem. When they got there, they found Jesus in the temple. He was talking to the priest. He was talking to the other learned men of the temple. And they were marveling at his knowledge and his understanding of the scriptures as he was describing what different things meant. And so his parents were somewhat exasperated that you know, he had stayed there and didn't let them know that that he wasn't returning with the family. And so that's when that conversation ensued. So what I want to say is that as a ministry marketplace leader, you also are about your father's business every single day. There is work that God has for you to do in the workplace. And it's one of the reasons that he has put you in a place of influence A place of leadership, an executive position, so that you can be about his work. So, I want to also unpack some other pictures of Jesus at work and how that also relates to us today and what we're doing in the workplace as well. So, I want to remind you about Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. And in this encounter, which is recorded in John, the fourth chapter, he sends his disciples to go and get some food. And they're in the region of Samaria. And this woman comes down to the well in the heat of the day, because she was kind of a woman of ill repute and had had five husbands and was living with a man at this time who wasn't her husband. And so she wasn't inclined to come out in the cool of the day when the other women might be drawing water, she would come at an alternate time. And it just so happens Jesus met her there, asked her for a drink of water, and she was surprised. Well, you're a Jewish man, why would you be asking me, you know, a Samaritan for a drink of water and so on? And he goes on to tell her that he, in fact, could give her living water that would never run out. And he also goes on to tell her many things about her life and her circumstances that he could not have known anyway, other than because in her mind, he was a prophet of God. So as they're having this conversation, and as he's finishing the conversation with her, and she goes into the village to tell everyone, I think I have met the Messiah. I've run into the Messiah. He told me everything in my life that I've done. And she invites other people to come out to meet Jesus as well. Well, in the meantime, his disciples come back and they're kind of shocked to see him talking to a woman, first of all, and secondly, to be speaking to a Samaritan woman, because Jews and Samaritans really didn't have any association because the Samaritans were considered mixed and not very faithful to the word of God. And so when they come back, they're urging him to eat. And so it says in John four thirty-one: in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So when we think about doing God's work, it's like food to us. It's like sustenance. When we think about physical food and how it is profitable to the body, The spiritual food, the food of doing God's will, doing God's work in our lives is a spiritual food of sorts. It's a kind of a sustenance. So even though Jesus had not eaten physical food, since he was doing the work of his Father, he didn't experience, he wasn't focused on the physical hunger. There was something more important for him to do. Similarly, when we're in a spiritual fast, even though we're not eating, physical food, we can focus on the spiritual and not give a lot of place or energy to that which is physical. And that's what he was doing in this circumstance. Later on, we also find in John 5th chapter that Jesus is at the pool of Bethesda. And there he finds a man who has been lame for many years, about 38 years. He's had this infirmity and he's not been able to be healed of the infirmity. It happens to be the Sabbath day, and Jesus tells him to get up and to take up his bed and walk. And when he does that, the man takes up his bed and he walks and he's healed. And of course, the Pharisees of the day, the leaders of the day are just outraged and incensed that this healing is taking place on the Sabbath. And so it goes on to say in John 5, 16, For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. And you have to think about it that what was more important was that people would be freed from their infirmities, loosed from bondage rather than what day of the week it was. And Jesus made the point that it's always a good time to do the right thing and to loose people from bondage. And certainly, it was something that the father cared about, releasing people from bondage. And so, he was rebuking, if you will, the Pharisees for their position that this man had been healed on the Sabbath. So, in Luke, the 13th chapter, in a similar kind of a scenario, there's a woman who has an infirmity, and she has been Suffering with this infirmity for many, many years, and Jesus heals her of her illness, and it just so happens that that was on the Sabbath too, and so now Jesus really gets after the leaders of the day, and he says to them in Luke the thirteenth chapter, starting in fifteen, it says, "The Lord then answered him and said." Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, shouldn't she be loose from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him." So when we think about it, and it's still true in our day to day, people will do more for their pets sometimes than they will actually do for another human being. And he's saying to them, you know, in another place, if their ox had fallen into a ditch, if it was the Sabbath, they would pull them out. And they certainly feed their animals water on the Sabbath. So why wouldn't this daughter of Abraham? be freed and loosed from her infirmity and her bondage on the Sabbath. So this is what he was saying to them in this situation. And in a similar place in John 6, Jesus talking about the work that he's been called to do, he goes on to say something more about it as well. And in verse 6 and starting in about 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all— He has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. So in all of these verses, we see that Jesus is very clear about what his mission is, what his calling is, what his ministry is, and every day. He is about his father's business in accomplishing that mission and that ministry. And we understand that that mission and ministry is extended and it continues through us as the ministry marketplace leaders, because he also said in John 14 and in about verse 12, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. So he's left the physical body, left the earth in a physical presence, and we are here to extend and carry on the work, to be the hands, the arms, the feet, and for the work to continue. So the question to ask is, well, what is it that God wants to do on the earth? What does he want to do in the workplace? and specifically, what does he want to do through you in the workplace? And I want you to remember that Nehemiah, when he was working for the king in the workplace as a cupbearer, he got a calling, if you will, from God in his spirit to go back to Jerusalem to build up the wall that was broken down for God's city he was in a prominent position of influence. He had the ear of the king. And ultimately, he got permission to go back to Jerusalem for this purpose. He was allowed to stay as long as he thought it would take to do the work. And the king even gave him provisions to make sure that the work got done. So it was no accident that Nehemiah was in this foreign king's court so that God could work through him to make these things happen. Same thing is similar when Joseph was down in Egypt and ended up becoming second only really to the Pharaoh in the land. And he had that position so that he would be able to save God's people during the famine. So again, he was positioned for a work and purpose of God. Similarly, Moses was positioned in Pharaoh's house as an adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. That way he could be prepared for his future role. He learned all of the Egyptian ways. He was educated at the highest levels, being a son of the Pharaoh in essence. And he is right there to learn all the customs, all the ways of the kingdom, which he was going to need to know later as he would be called to lead God's people out of Egyptian slavery. And we also find in the in the New Covenant that Paul, the apostle, he was educated as a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews taught by Gamaliel, who was one of the highest teachers in his time. And with this excellent foundation, education, grounding in the scriptures, God is preparing Paul for his later work in establishing churches, and in being an apostle. Of course, at the time when all of this is going on, Paul is not aware that he's being called into ministry in this way. And similarly in our own lives, we aren't always aware of how our background, our preparation is preparing us to do the works of our father. So why is all of this important? I think that when you are a marketplace ministry leader, And I'm going to be talking over the next so many weeks about living leadership legacy and talking about ways that we can work together to really make sure that you are living out your living leadership purpose in a powerful way. The reason that's important is because none of us gets everything done by ourselves and alone we do need people coming alongside of us. We need help. And I'm thinking back to Moses when he's in the heat of the battle. And as long as his arms are raised, Israel is winning. And then when his arms get tired and they fall down, Israel loses in the battle. So he has his two companions then to hold his arms up because his role as a leader, is so important and it's important to God's purposes. So there are people who in divine appointments will come alongside you to make sure that your arms are held up in the battle so that God's purpose is realized in your life and beyond your life. Also, God's voice, very often we need to have a reaffirmation of what God's call and direction is to us. And he works through other people very often to reaffirm that calling. He partners with different parts of the body to come alongside you so that you hear him again and in a new and fresh way. I know very often the people that God sends to me have very powerful gifts in his spirit, gifts of discernment, gifts of being able to see beyond what's going on in the moment. And God will send those people to me because of my grounding in his word and in the scriptures. And when you put both together, it's even more powerful than anyone alone. So, when we think about the body of Christ, there's diversity in the body in terms of abilities, giftings, and resources. And we put those resources together so that the work of God gets done here on the earth. So there are some thought questions that I want you to think about as we're at the beginning of this study about living leadership legacy. Number one, what early life preparation did God allow in your life? I've already shared about Paul's education in history. Moses' preparation in Pharaoh's house. What did God do for you in your early life in terms of education, upbringing, experiences that have prepared you for where you are now as an executive, a marketplace ministry leader? Number two, what other relevant experiences have you had along the way, life experiences that also prepare you for the role that you have today? Three, what position are you in now? Are you a CEO of a company? Are you an executive vice president? What is your current role? Are you a CFO, chief operating officer? And in that role, what is the work that God is calling you to do from this position? Who are you to serve and why are you to serve them? Keep in mind We cannot serve in any of these roles unless we truly abide in Christ, who is the vine. That's where all of our sustenance comes from. That's where all of our spiritual food and nourishment comes from. And as a branch, we abide in the vine to receive all of that spiritual power. God loves the people in your workplace and you are his salt and light in that workplace. You are a beacon of hope to others who are working there every day and there's specific work God has for you to do, and there are reasons why he's placed you in that workplace. So as we are wrapping up today's segment, I want to just share a reading with you from John, the ninth chapter. And in this John, the ninth chapter, Jesus is healing a man who was born blind. And I want you just to hear a little bit about what is said here. People were wondering when this man, he was born blind. And of course, that was a very upsetting life for him. And it was a disappointment to his parents as well. And people were wondering at the time. And so they came to Jesus and they said, well, who sinned? that this man was born blind. They wanted to know, did his parents sin? Did he sin? What was going on such that this was taking place? So Jesus answered them in verse 3 of John 9 and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. That's why all this happened. And then verse 4, he said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day the night is coming when no one can work. And then he went on to say, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So we are light bearers. We are the ones who are carrying the light of the Messiah now that he has returned to the Father in heaven. And there's coming a time in our lives when it also will be night. And we will no longer be here on the earth plane. So while it is day, it is time for us to also be about our father's business. There are blind eyes to open, deaf ears to open. There's light to bring to bear on everything that we are doing in the workplace. So think about that and think about your calling as a ministry marketplace leader. And we'll talk more about Living Leadership Legacy. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks.